Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe, Lewis Goldberg, and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Ann and Nick are speaking with Jeroen Conforti, CEO and director of Nova Mind Ventures, which delivers psychedelic therapies to patients suffering from treatment-resistant psychological conditions at its Cedar Psychiatry Clinics in Utah. The company's Cedar Clinical Research Division is developing complementary evidence-based therapy modalities that will enable the training of clinicians at scale as the regulated psychedelics medicines industry continues to grow. And Novamind is also building a network of psychedelic retreats in jurisdictions with established regulations for the use of psychedelics. So don't sit back, lean forward. Now on to our conversation with Jeroen, Anne, and Nick. We are talking with your own Conforti of Novamind today. We are very excited to have you on. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what Novamind does and, and how you guys are different from um, what seems like dozens of, of, of other companies in the psychedelic space kind of popping up. Um, so if you could just give our, our listeners a, a quick overview, that would be great. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, certainly. I mean, it's, uh, it's becoming a quickly crowded environment. So I think it's worth differentiating for your listeners, uh, out the gate. So Nova mind, uh, is entirely focused on the infrastructure and research required for a regulated psychedelics industry. What that means is that we own and operate a network of outpatient mental health clinics where we serve patients. And there's four clinics that are operating in Utah now. And on the clinical research side, we own and operate a CRO, what's called a clinical research organization, which both serves um, clients in the pharmaceutical sector developing drugs, as well as serves as a platform for us to develop protocols internally. So for clarity, we're not a drug developer. Um, many of, of your listeners will be familiar with, with companies in the space that are purely drug developers. We develop protocols um, around the compounds, not developing the compounds themselves. Now, before we get too much further into Novamind, we also like to give our guests, you know, just a little bit more background on, on, on who you are. And so, you know, how did you get involved in the industry and what's your personal connection to psychedelics? Sure. So, you know, in terms of involvement in the industry, I, I chose to be a part of the industry going back about two years now. Um, my co-founders and I um, make, started making investments in the space. Um, we were looking at the data that I think a lot of people were seeing a couple of years ago from um, some of the benchmark clinical trials work that's being done at Imperial and Hopkins. And uh, so my background is as a venture capital investor and, and builder of often startups uh, or early stage companies. And at that point in time, we saw an opportunity already based on, on what the data, again, the efficacy uh, that was coming out in terms of the data. And that there was an opportunity to build a, a sustainable business around it that was going to help a lot of people. So it was a, a combination of, again, my, um, my professional life is focused and has been focused for, for most of that time 
about 20 years in, in really identifying early stage opportunities. Sometimes they're emerging jurisdictions, sometimes they're, they're emerging sectors. In this case, it was the latter. Um, so that was the professional side that brought me, you know, into the sector. And then on a personal basis, I mean, I, uh, always had an interest in, in non-ordinary states of consciousness and, um, certainly, um, had a lot of experiences prior to my involvement in this sector, um, and, and not really understanding the therapeutic applications of some of these compounds that are, are obviously being talked a lot about now, whether it be psilocybin or LSD, MDMA. So I had exposure on a, on a recreational basis and, and again, always um, had an interest in, in those non-ordinary states of consciousness. And since getting involved in the sector, since that point of a couple of years ago and understanding the data um, and what a lot of your listeners may understand that there's... Um, <clears throat> There's there's room in psychedelics to both to help people um, in 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 terms of um, medical indications in many cases treatment resistant indications and very ser serious um, medical situations. There's another case for the use of psychedelics, and that's the case I I fall into, which is um, not as much healing the sick but bettering the well. So I have had a couple of experiences um, with different compounds, therapeutic psychedelic experiences, uh, which have been amazing. And, and I hope to add I, more. And I do want to ask a little bit later about, uh, the, the fundamental difference between, um, you know, wanting legalized psychedelics for adult use versus the medical use. So let's go into that in, in a little bit. But, um, what I do want to talk about a little, given that your background is in VC and building companies, um, you know, Nova Mind is involved in in lots of different research projects and clinical trials, which um, which is a slow slog sometimes, and it can be very frustrating. But can you share with us what some of the highlights have been, and and what some of the surprises were to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I'll speak specifically about the work that we've done on the research uh, side. So, Nova Mind operates to um, two subsidiaries, 100% owned subsidiaries. One is Cedar Psychiatry, which I mentioned, which is a network of four outpatient mental health clinics in the Utah area, um, which we're growing. The The other 100% owned subsidiary is called Cedar Clinical Research, or CCR for short. So that's a, a really a dedicated entity. Um, and it was built um, on really on the back of and on the track record and the reputation and the passion of Dr. Reed Robison, who is our chief medical officer at NovaMind. And I encourage your, your listeners to look into his background because Reed um, is pretty unique and not only is he a very well-known clinician um, and has been providing ketamine-assisted psychotherapy and, and in fact, um, some experiences basically providing facilitating uh, psychedelic experiences with other compounds in other jurisdictions, so not just limited to, to what's legal in the U.S. He's also been pursuing research um, as a research scientist and, and really advancing psychedelic research for years now. So he was, through Cedar Clinical Research, uh, the lead on Janssen's trial work in Utah for Spravato, um, also known by the brand uh, or esketamine, the brand is Frivato, um, and which most people will understand is really the first legal psychedelic uh, drug. So his involvement with that trial in particular, just to give everyone a feel for uh, the background of CCR and the type they were doing until this point, now extended into some more interesting research going on at CCR right now. I'll give you one example, which is um, 
um, read in, in association with the Ketamine Research Foundation headed by Dr. Wolfson. Um, they're looking at a study right now, which is uh, pending IRB approval, and that's um, on conscious dying, conscious living. So ketamine-assisted psychotherapy for patients with um, with one year less to live, right? So K cap in a, in a palliative setting. That would be one example. Um, another example, again, which is not not a, a typical clinical trial that we would be performing on behalf of a, a client company, which is usually a pharmaceutical company engaging in, in phase trial development. Um, this is an example of a protocol that we're developing internally called FCAP. Uh, it's an acronym for Emotion-Focused Ketamine-Assisted Psychotherapy. And again, this is another example of the work that's taking place at CCR. And maybe to, to answer specifically your question on sort of what, what are the, the interesting results we're having or the things we're seeing that we're excited about. Because um, I can speak to again directly, it's it's our work. It's it's not um, on behalf of the client. And FCAP is a blend of KAP, ketamine assisted psychotherapy, and emotion focused therapy. It was developed by Dr. Reed Robison, Novamind CMO, um, in partnership with Adela France, who is a PhD psychologist and a very very well known consultant in psychedelic medicine. Um, so they developed that protocol. That protocol uh, has uh, been designed and is being developed in terms of seeing patients now that we're collecting data on, um, specifically using people with um, uh, both treatment-resistant depression and eating disorders. And we're going to be publishing that data uh, in the near future to show people the, the kind of success we're having treating people with this particular protocol. I was reading it up on, on what you guys have done so far, and I, you are leading the U.S. right now in how many patients you've actually provided treatment, uh, the ketamine-assisted uh, psychotherapy. I think the number I saw most recently was over 3,000. Um, so can you elaborate on you know, how you guys are recruiting patients, how you're getting the word out there? And, and you've mentioned a couple of indications so far. Are, are, can you give us a, a solid list of what everything that you're looking at so far? Sure. Um, last question first. You know, the, the list is really, um, it's, it's comprehensive, which means we're looking at uh, really a cross-section of compounds and indications. Um, there's obviously an opportunity, and, and the recent evidence or early evidence from the research that's, that's coming out is, you know, not all, not all compounds are all things to all people, and there's an opportunity to use different compounds and different protocols for different indications. So we really are assessing, we're at the point where we're looking now and prioritizing those, those indications and those compounds. There's also a regulatory um, you know, sort of component there, right? So it's, it's gonna be a lot easier to conduct trials with ketamine right now than it will be with MDMA or psilocybin, um, but we intend to do uh, both. So uh, I hope that answered your question as, as far as it's a broad approach. I have a quick follow-up on that because you guys are developing the protocols um, for these treatments and stuff. So how is it working with the, with your staff, with your medical professionals to, to kind of address patients coming from different areas? We've spoken with uh, some companies that are, you know, specifically targeting PTSD in, uh, in like veterans or they're going after um, people that are suffering from uh, drug abuse or addiction and stuff like that. So how is it developing those protocols? Are there like wide varying changes? Yeah, it's, um, you know, the, the catalyst for, for our, our focus in terms, of in terms of research protocols comes from the clinical research side versus the, the outpatient side, let's say. So 
the protocol development is really done uh, on a bench scale using the resources at CCR because the, the goal is really to test for safety and efficacy, which in many cases, uh, whether it's ketamine or, or psilocybin or even MDMA now is well understood, thanks to MAPS, right? Uh, the MDMA part. So safety and efficacy doesn't take that much time. And we're really focusing on um, designing uh, and then developing these protocols. That is, you know, let me be really specific. It's like putting together the manuscript of how to apply this particular therapeutic therapy, right? It's therapeutic protocol. So how to apply the therapy um, and then to measure, right? To, to, to recruit for patients and then to measure uh, for e efficacy. Um, you know, going back to that approach, because I, I, I'm glad you pointed it out. I, I, I tried to as much as possible and I might've missed it in, in this conversation, <laughs> but we treat people today. Um, so in terms of di differentiation, when, you know, we entered the space um, by partnering with Cedar Psychiatry, our, our wholly owned uh, outpatient mental health network, the thinking was we, we didn't just want to build for the future. We didn't want to build infrastructure anticipating a time at which uh, MDMA or psilocybin may be legal, but rather, you know, what, what jurisdictions using what compounds um, can we treat people legally and safely today? So that starts with ketamine in, in the U.S., the first legal psychedelic. Um, and that's where why I think you see the first protocol developed out of CCR focused on ketamine. Um, so we, we look at it from, again, the research side. And then through that lens, you know, again, the aperture is pretty wide in that, um, as an example, we have a strategic a scientific advisory board, excuse me. And that scientific advisory board is, is pretty meaningful to us because it's, it's not only advisory, but we really do rely on their domain expertise. Um, so, for example, uh, one of our uh, scientific advisory board members, Dr. Paul Thielking, is a psycho-oncologist. And he's doing a lot of work also, in fact, in the Utah area uh, around psycho-oncology. Um, and that might be an area, again, from the research side where because we have the resources, both in terms of infra infrastructure and the people with the domain expertise, um, that that would enable us to focus or, or, you know, that would be the reason we would focus on one indication more than the other. So we'll be influenced by the domain experts we have around us. And of course, you know, it really is... Um, a driving ethos, we, we, we want to help people. So it's not only serving patients, but really focusing on those indications where the, the treatment resistant conditions that we see represent a, a great need. So uh, I'll be specific and mention another indication of focus, which is eating disorders. Um, Dr. Reed Robison, uh, as well as Dr. Della France, who I mentioned as a consultant to us, are both um, experts in eating disorders and, and have been treating them for many, many years through different institutions as well. And another one of our advisory board members, Dr. Alan Kaplan, um, if for, for those Canadians that might be listening, was um, a vice chair Cam H for many years, uh, focused on eating disorders in particular. So because we have experience in those indications, it's more likely that we'll be doing work in those areas. Oh, that's really interesting. And, and I, can't help but point out that, you know, as we, we work more and more with these, uh, with, with companies like yours, the, the scientific advisory boards are just so impressive. And in just hearing, you know, the couple of people that you've talked about here, um, I, I've never heard of a, of a psycho 
psycho-oncologist. Oncologist. So mm-hmm. what, is that exactly what it sounds like? Is it is it uh, a, yeah. someone who's helping people deal with a diagnosis or, or um, perhaps the, you know, impending death or what, what is that exactly? Exactly okay. right. Um, and you're a good company, right? Because before I, I, I became versed in this, I, I, I don't think that psycho-oncology was, was something that I understood or that I'd heard before. So yeah, it's, it's pretty descriptive. It's what you're thinking. And you know, again, um, using data to, to explain an area of specialization. I mean, bottom line, what you'll find is that uh, patients suffering from cancer and sometimes in a palliative care situation, if you look at the incidence of depression and anxiety uh, across that random sample compared to any other random sample, I don't have to convince you it's exceptionally high. So, you know, it's it's pretty scary to think that, and, and this is part of, I, I suppose, what motivated me um, to, to build this business with my partners is that, you know, we live in a world where there, there truly are no alternatives for someone who is scared of death and dying. Right. Like that's, that's as, um, as plain as I can put it. So and universal. I, don't, I don't think I need I mean, to. So universal. Yeah. That's what yeah, I mean. Like... I, uh, precisely. <laughs> I don't need to enlighten anybody, not you and not your listeners that the, the paradigm of, of SSRIs and, um, you know, essentially, um, it's, it's, it, it hasn't worked. And we know that, and I guess that's much more visible in the cases of treatment resistant depression and some of the more now more visible indications. But to think that, you know, with the advances in technology and quality of life generally, and, and, and just general, um, you know, also just on a, I guess on a, uh, in a medical context. Um, and this is, again, gives rise to, to the industry and why nobody has to take my word for it or, or your word for it, that, that there's something, um, you know, new paradigm uh, worthy here, right? Because the psychiatrists that we work with, um, and we work very closely with a lot of them now, will tell you very, very clearly, if you ask them that the tools that they've had, you know, haven't been working for decades. So if you look at cardiology, or if you look at oncology, and you see the, the improved, uh, you know, incidence of diseases down, and maybe the the, the outcomes, incidence of improved outcomes is is up, but not not in mental health, not even yeah. close. I mean, I, I think that's another thing that everyone just you you have to agree with. Uh, you know, there's not one person who's listening who hasn't either personally, you know, dealt with with mental health issues or or you know had a loved one struggle with mental health issues. So, um, you know, that's that's why we want to talk about these kinds of things. So. Um, one kind of just offbeat question I have for you is why Utah? Um, uh, would you believe if, if I said it was for the skiing? <laughs> well, it's, 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 not. it's not for like the wine. <laughs> right. So, there you go. So it's a totally fair question and, and nobody has to be subtle about it. Our, our partners who are based there uh, really are, are happy to talk about it. So the reason we're there is because Cedar Psychiatry is there. So Cedar Psychiatry is, is again, an established business. It's been around for many years. Um, we acquired it, in fact, uh, when we partnered with Reed and Seneca Anderson, who, who founded that business. Um, they're both uh, local and, and have been in the area and have families there. It's a really unique place, obviously, um, very much based in conservative values in the Mormon church and a lot of things that people, and you know, skiing and stuff, people that are familiar with those things. Um, the other thing it is, is, is really uh, a very, very exciting place to, to work. Um, there's some very, very large organizations that, 
uh, Google, Amazon, Goldman Sachs, etc. You, you know, it's a lot of young, smart people applying themselves to doing special things. And, um, and it's, it's, it's a place that's growing and it's an environment that actually, again, notwithstanding those, those conservative values that underlie it, um, is in fact home to, to a lot of innovation. So we, we really have only had great experiences on, you know, working on a state level there. In fact, they hosted a conference last year, which isn't unfortunately going to happen this year because of COVID where I think it was about six or 700 people. Um, it was a, a psychedelic focus conference, psychedelic medicine focus conference, uh, that we went out for six, six to 700 people showed up. So, um, a captive audience for yeah. sure. And I'm not knocking Utah. So nobody at me, you know, it's, <laughs> Zion national park is one of my most favorite places on earth, but it just seems, um, you know, thank you for your insight that just, it just seemed, you know, it's, it's a state that has, you know, from the cannabis side, certainly, um, not been as, as open. So I, I think it's, it's really interesting that, that it's a state that does seem to be embracing, um, what you're trying to do here. So, so, well, you're on. Well, we've seen over the last year. There's been a lot of cities and um, like Ann Arbor, Chicago, that have decriminalized psychedelics. Oregon just had sweeping ballot measures this last November to, you know, uh, start pushing forward the psychedelics industry in that state. Are, do you guys have any plans to, you know, explore outside of Utah, or are the operation is going to stay? There? Yeah, it's um, certainly the, the expansion plans, both um, organically. And via M and A, that is, we're looking at, at potential uh, clinic acquisitions and opening our own. Um, there's there's a geographic footprint that we want to expand, certainly um, in North America, potentially to Canada soon, um, given some of the the policy movement and, and opportunities here at home. I'm based in Toronto. Um, we also made a really large investment um, at the time. It was a very large investment and, and the largest investment in the company at the time in the Synthesis Institute. Um, so Synthesis Institute is widely regarded as, as one of the premier, um, retreat models for psilocybin experiences, again, adhering to our, our standards of, of safe, legal, medically supervised experiences. Um, so we have already, uh, you know, we have some tentacles again, you know, our focus is on treating people today. So in that respect, we would rather refer people to the Netherlands today. Um, people who really need treatment in some cases are desperate for it. Uh, then wait, you know, two years and build our plans for what may or may not happen in Oregon. So it's both, uh, I'd say it's, it's something that, you know, we, we want to treat people in real time and in parallel, essentially sow the seeds for, for expansion. That expansion has a lot to do with policy as well, right? So uh, Portland, I mentioned, obviously, and you mentioned some of the other jurisdictions. I think that's a trend that's, that's going to continue. So our, our plans will, will be based partly on that. Well, and I kind of want to go back to what we alluded to earlier on this divide between people in the industry who are in favor of adult use legalization and those who would rather see legalization via the medical FDA route, you know, at least here in the U.S. Where do you guys fall on that spectrum? So the, the you guys, I'll, I'll just answer actually separately for myself and for Novamind. And the reason for that is not because they're, they're Paul, I'm not giving a policy statement as much as that my personal view um, is that people shouldn't be precluded from having these experiences if they're going to benefit from them. And um, generally, again, I, I describe myself as one of those people at the top of the conversation. So 
Um, there's nothing, um, there's no dissonance for me there. From a Novamind perspective, you know, we, we're treating patients. Um, we're, we're really, it's a, it's a medical business at this time. Um, obviously from the clinical research side, but, but both from our, also from our outpatient mental health facilities. So, um, you know, we're, we're squarely focused on treating, uh, as you mentioned, you know, we've done thousands of, of CAP, um, experiences. Many of those read has led, we're training the practitioners that are going to be required to scale that, uh, type of treatment, both using ketamine and for the other compounds that'll come online and for the ones that we, we may use in our research trials. So, you know, all to say that we don't find ourselves from a Novamind perspective, um, um, we, we, we don't find ourselves at all, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry. Rooting for one um, side or the other? Is that <laughs> No, what it is, is that we're not, we don't find ourselves constrained by not, um, by, by, you know, the fact that we, we're not, um, bettering the well and that we're focusing on healing the sick. That is, there's so much work for us to do both on, again, patient treatment side and the protocol development side um, that we're really focused in many cases, focused in terms of the research side on, on, on treatment resistant conditions. Um, Reed Robison, again, as uh, you know, for decades now has had a lot of experiences treating um, very, very serious cases, eating, eating disorders for one, which, uh, again, a lot of listeners may know have the highest mortality rates of all mental health diseases, right? I don't so think dealing... I knew that. I'm sorry. Yeah. So yeah. even more than like a PTSD or, or depression? Mm-hmm. Really? Correct. Yeah. Mortality rates. So it's, 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 it's pretty terrifying when you think that the, the, the data suggests that as an adult with an eating disorder, there's a very high probability you're going to die. You know, when you when wow. you put things in those terms, yeah. and again, we're we're not we didn't start a business to create a market um, or or sort of hang a shingle somewhere and and create a you know, curate a service around just cap or just something else, hoping that people will will come as patients. We we partnered right with a business, and we have these clinics that provide a broad spectrum of services. So just to be clear, you you know from. CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy to prescription management um, and, and more psychiatric uh, specific medication services to things like TMS, more innovative treatments, um, CAP, I've mentioned, obviously, Scrivato we've talked about. So there, there's a spectrum of services there. And if we're going to focus now on using that expertise, our practitioners who've treated those people, so if we're going to use that expertise and we're going to leverage it with our clinical infrastructure, we're going to do it for 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 the most serious conditions because those are the people that that really are the most desperate for the help and in fact there are patients in many cases yeah and that makes that makes a ton of sense that makes a ton of sense um i want to shift gears a little bit and start talking about uh some recent news that you guys announced um you recently um announced that you guys have an over oversubscribed funding round i believe it was around eight million dollars and plans to rto on the cse in the near future which congratulations thank you and it was Can you... eight million us 10 million canadian but who's counting got it thank you thank you <laughs> um but can you expand you know why you're deciding to go public now and um why the cse is the is the right spot for you versus something that we've seen other like the neo that we've seen other uh psychedelic companies go on yeah, sure. I'm happy to talk about that because uh, it's an area of expertise for me. I mean, mo- most of the last uh, 
you know, 20 years, I've, I've been operating in the Canadian venture capital markets and a big component of the Canadian venture capital markets is the, the CSC, the TSXV. Um, so it's a unique ecosystem that you don't find everywhere else. Um, many of your, your listeners are probably familiar with that. The reason we ended up there, and I think a lot of other companies end, end up there as well, is, is really a more objective reason than, than many people may understand. And it's the following. If you want to raise or capitalize a early stage company with somewhere between five and $20 million, um, anywhere on planet Earth for that matter, and you want to use that risk, you want to raise that risk capital and you want to apply it to, to building a business like we're doing, you aren't going to find um, many or any partners in the traditional private equity universe. So whether that's the heart of Silicon Valley or some other venture venture capital outfit in Toronto, the, the, the nature, the investment policies, the mandates around those pools of capital preclude them um, from getting involved in this stage of a risk generally. So if you are building a business like ours and you know you want to scale that business and you, you know you're going to need capital to scale, you really better have a plan in place so that you're not, um, you know, so you don't face a bottleneck, bottom line, right? You may have the best business in the world, but if you're not um, in a capital market where there is an existing and, and, and let's say predisposed pools of capital that want to take these risks with you, you don't get very far. And I've experienced that, meaning trying to build similar businesses in the private equity landscape. So when you end up, that's, that's really a bit of a longer story maybe than was necessary, but it's, it, it explains that that's why these exchanges exist. They exist because they, they, they aggregate in a very unique ecosystem the type of risk capital that you need to build a business like this. And um, you know, I've, I've built a couple of, of businesses and listed many of them on the exchanges, and some of them ended up being acquired. And it can be a really, really successful model if you know what you're doing uh, and if you have a reputation. Uh, because again, my, my co-founders and I are, are are very practiced at that part of the business. We come from the venture capital side, and because our networks, uh, including investors, uh, stakeholders, and some strategic partners, because they know our reputation building companies on these exchanges, there's a, a fairly clear understanding um, and level of trust, knowing that we're not doing it to to simply be promotional or to screw around with the stock market. Right? It's very much a tool. Uh, that provides an important important piece of our infrastructure to build this business. You know, you you mentioned your your experience in in building companies for the exchanges. I'm wondering uh, what your experience has been like specifically for Nova Mind in talking to investors. Is there, um, you know, I, I'm just thinking about we see it with you know, or we saw it maybe three four years ago with cannabis companies. There has to be this education, this this primer almost, and and it, it just resulted in more meetings and and you know people had more questions and then they were going to put their money in if they could. Um, is is there more of a learning curve here you're finding with investors or is this something that we've reached the tipping point when, you know, so, so you go into a room and, and an investor's like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm primed on, on the marketplace. Tell me what you're doing. Really great question. And it's a great question because, um, so I mentioned, I've, you know, I'm, I'm sector agnostic, meaning that I've, I've built companies or been involved in transactions in various sectors, uh, natural resources, technology, certainly cannabis, uh, renewable energy, there's others. Across all those experiences, building companies, doing the, you know, engaging with investors exactly like you just described, 
Um, this is abs- absolutely objectively unique and, and inspiring, I guess, in, in a sense that a lot of the investors we've engaged with, and again, I'm speaking from a Novamind perspective, there's a lot of uh, companies flogging different things and maybe attracting a different following. But in our case, um, for example, the $10 million that we raised and the capital that we raised prior uh, was done essentially from our network only. That is, they weren't... Um, agents that, that were raising the capital for us. And the result was that we we brought in a lot of really mission-driven investors. And, and that's sort of the long story short. And that's across the board. So whereas cannabis or tech or other, I'd say predominantly you're dealing with investors who have ended up in this 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 unique risk capital ecosystem because they are interested in the, the potential for outsized financial returns, which is nothing wrong with. In this case, it seems that um, based on, again, the many conversations we had around our, our capital raise um, and, and just the deep due diligence, you're dealing with, with people in many cases that are both mission-driven, they're informed, like you said, like, like everybody, they're somehow touched by mental health or someone they know is. Um, so that forms part, part of the mission-driven investing. And they're also obviously attracted to the potential to, to, to make money and, and you know, achieve those outsized returns with people that while taking the risk or doing it in a, um, in a transparent and, and straightforward and honorable manner. So it's a, uh, it's a big deal. It's a lot of responsibility. Um, and that's, you know, we're, we're excited about it because we, we really believe in what we're doing. I think the world is seeing now that this, this sector is moving very quickly. Uh, COVID's obviously exacerbated the focus on mental health generally, so I'm no longer having to explain to people why we have the right to build this business. I'm explaining to them what our particular approach is. They're very, very interested in the details of that. And, um, you know, it just tends to attract a, a, like a certain, a certain pedigree. Some of them even have become potential strategic partners right? because they have other, um, for example, investments in, 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 in medical or mental health that end up touching our business. So that part's exciting. And as we go public, I'm sure there'll be lots and lots more shareholders they'll interact with, some more informed, some less informed. But, um, you know, on the whole, I think if people take that approach, that that mission-driven approach, and also with an interest in earning the outsized returns, there's no cognitive uh, dissonance there for me. And I don't think there should be for anybody else. I want to stick on on what's exciting, Yaron, because we're we, we're got a, just a couple more questions for you. But you know, with with our audience here, we always love to pick pick the brains of our guests, and you know, find out. You know, you got a lot on your hands with the the uh, the going public right now. But you know, post public, what excites you the most, both in the short term and the long term, for Novamine that you guys have coming up? There's a lot to be excited about. I mean, in the short term. You know, frankly, being being a, a public company, um, revealing ourselves to the world in a way we've we've kept a pretty low profile. I mean, there's a ton of, sort of promotional stuff going on in the space, but if if people look at our website, I encourage them to novamind.ca and and just get you know familiar with our, our press releases and um, we have our deck up there on the investor section. We we've been pretty thoughtful about explaining to people what we're we're trying to build here. So. Doing that at scale and, and being able to engage with a lot of people and getting their interest, that's, that's part of the reason we're going public, right? So really look forward to that in the short term uh, and celebrate our success and communicate some, you know, some, some of the interesting things in our, in our pipeline of news that's, that are coming along. Um, so really, that, that is a lot in the short term and it's coming up to end of year and, and we're trying to get it done before then. 
Um, going into you know more of the short term in, in Q1, we've got some pretty specific expansion plans. We're opening another clinic in Utah, and we've got some discussions um, going for, for for other potential expansion, um, as well as specific trials that um, we'll be announcing soon. So that's new clinical trials uh, that we will be um, uh, leading or at least involved with as a site in terms of our clinical trial development work. In the long term, um, wow. I mean, you know, it's, I think the, the pace has been faster than most people expected. I'll include myself. Uh, the policy action is, is pretty exciting to me. I think there's going to be a domino effect there, I think, on a state level. Um, again, I'm not based in the U.S., but, um, but, but a very interested observer. And I think you'll, you'll start seeing more and more uh, development of these types of, of bills um, on a state level. And from the industry, I mean, again, I, I can speak for NovaMind, and, and I think it'll be similar with, with some of our peers who are, are much more serious about the space in terms of actually treating people. Um, you know, we're, to do what we're talking about at scale, as I've mentioned, on, for, from the NovaMind perspective, it's doing it at scale as Cedar Psychiatry expanding, which means our locations will have many more therapists that are experienced and, and can provide these experiences. Um, or on the Cedar Clinical Research site, expanding the infrastructure and the people so we can do more trials, that stuff takes time and money, right? So that's what we'll be doing. We're, you know, getting that right, actually, actually scaling the infrastructure, um, first couple of locations, first new trial sites, that kind of thing. That's a lot of work and we're going to make sure we get it right so, so that we have a, a great platform to build from. So that's a bit of short term and long time for long term from the Novamind perspective. Okay, last question, I think, um, and and this is one we ask everyone or we try to ask everyone. What do you think the mainstream media is missing when it comes to their reporting on psychedelics? So um, maybe think about you know, you're you're in Toronto, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what front page story on the Globe and Mail would you love to see if you could, if you could pluck the perfect headline? You know, I, I would love to see the, the positive case uh, just a little more because I think that it's a function of this particular sector and the world we live in that, that news media in general, we respond to the more you know, parabolic and, and in some case, let's call it negative, right? So the negative catalysts. If it bleeds, it leads. <laughs> I guess so. You know, you, you guys know better than I. You're, you're the PR yes. people after all. So, you know, so, but it's negative that leads, right? So 300 million people, the w, WHO tells us, suffer from, from depression. A third of those people, 100 million people, are treatment-resistant cases, Right. It's these are like the the really shocking numbers that drive people into action and policymakers into action and capitalists like me into action. So, the bottom line, I'd like to see an emphasis on the positive. Um, you know, the 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 initial clinical results and and the data coming out of the trials is starting to get that attention. But you know, the groundswell of interest and the amount of people that are dedicating in an intentional way um, themselves to the sector. Again, Novamind is an example. It's like a, it's a platform for a lot of domain expertise, right? Whether you're a venture capital specialist or a psycho-oncologist or um, renowned like Dr. Reed Robison for your work in psychedelic medicine, you know, there's a great, there's really a good news story to be told. I love it. Well, 
that does it for us. Um, I don't have, I think you guys did, you've, you've done such a good job of um, kind of painting the picture for us um, at Novamind. And we'll make sure that we include uh, your website and any social handles in our notes so that um, listeners can, can check them out. So um, Yaron Conforti, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. A special thanks to Yaron Conforti, CEO of Novamind. You can check them out at novamind.ca as well as on Twitter at novamind underscore Inc. Um, as always, thank you so much for listening. If you want to chat with Ann or I, you can find us on Twitter at the handle at the underscore greenrush or on Instagram at the greenrush underscore podcast. Drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com and make sure you're subscribing to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher and to our weekly newsletter. That's one take, Shay. One take.